0: Welcome to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here. Let me also welcome those who are joining us on Facebook Live. We're excited also that you're joining us. And I told you last week on Easter Sunday that normal wasn't working and that we weren't going back to normal. So again, we didn't. That's a new service time. We've adjusted both of our service times. So that means we've also adjusted the time that we'll be Facebook Living. Is that right? Does that sound right? Being on Facebook Live. So again, instead of 9.30 now, it will be 10.30. So again, those of you that join us on Facebook, some of you may have missed us and not thought about it. You'll also be able to see the message uh, ongoing this afternoon, and you'll be able to see it today and the, uh, the days going forward this week. Let me also say this. Take a moment right now and share it to your Facebook page. Again, that always gives us traction more people get to see it when they see that you're watching it or that you have watched it. So again, let me welcome you again. I said things weren't going back to normal because normal simply wasn't working. Now, most of you are going to remember that a couple of weeks before Easter, uh, we started what I called a two-week simple series based on a book by Andy Stanley. And before you over-spiritual people say, based on a book, aren't we supposed to be speaking about the Bible? Well, we are. The The book is based on Scripture. And the book is called How to Be Rich. It's, it's, it's a book by Andy Stanley that I read years ago, but it is so timely. And let me add, uh, the two-week series was interrupted. Uh, we did the first week on the 21st, and the next week we had the flood, and then last week we had Easter. So I kind of contemplated, you know, do I need to go back and pick up the series, or do I just need to let it go And I kind of had a feeling in my spirit that, you know what, let's just go with it. Uh, Let's pick back up with it. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to kind of temper this and ask a couple of people. And as I asked a couple of people, said, no, 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 you need to just go ahead and and do that. And this is not people I would typically, you know, always ask. They were kind of out of my circle. And I said to some of these people, I said, what do do you think? And they said, no, you, you, you need to go ahead and do it. Because, again, I think this is a very timely topic. Uh, It's a really important topic for the body of Christ, and not just for the body of Christ. It is a timely topic and a timely issue, especially as it relates to the season that we find ourselves in. Now, let me say that I was really encouraged that some of you told me that you were going to make sure, because I kind of pushed you. I said, if you don't have the book, How to Be Rich by Andy Stanley. You need to buy that book. So some of you after the service said, you know what, I'm going to get that book. And then some of you in the service were buying the book. You told me that you were on Amazon and that you were buying. it. And here's the thing. If you were on Amazon to buy the book, which I suggested, I have no problem. I will forgive you. I believe it's that important and that you need to have that book. Because again, it helps us understand the topic of generosity. It's just that important. Now, sort of as a review so that we all kind of remember and so that we're all on the same page, I want to tell you what I believe was the big takeaway for me from that book. Because again, I think we all need to be on the same page and we all need to understand. And really, I think one of the things that Andy was trying to drive home is that we live in a culture, we live in a society, even right now, even with all that's going on with COVID-19, we live in a culture that is telling us how to get rich. Instead of how to be rich. But this morning, I want to point out a little something that I believe most of us miss. The reality is that most of us in this room, most of you who are listening online and most of you who are watching online, we miss the point that we are already rich. We're already rich. Even though we might not realize it, that's something we have to understand. We are rich. And while we think that rich is always going to be somebody else, it's the guy down the street, it's the guy across town, it's the guy who's in Forbes magazine. Let me tell you, regardless of what you think, when we talk about rich, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. When we talk about rich, we're talking about us. Because here's the thing you have to understand. We, my friends, are rich. But some of you would say, well, okay, okay, you know, one, I didn't really come to Crossroads to hear somebody talk about, you know, being rich or money, but, but, but just, just, just track with me here for just a few minutes. Because some of you say, well, if I'm rich, Randy, why is it that I have such anxiety with money? If, if, if you're telling me that all the people in the auditorium, those watching online and those listening online are rich, why is it that, that we're struggling to pay our bills, Why am I always stressed out over money? Can you just, Randy, can you just answer those questions for me? And I believe I can. I believe I can help you with the answer to those questions. I believe that I can say this morning to you, if you're struggling to pay your bills, if you're constantly stressed out and you're dealing with anxiety and that's all revolving around money, That doesn't mean that you're not rich. It just means that you're bad at being rich. That's what that means. So a big part of this is not for you trying to figure out what to do with your money. But I would say a big part of this whole two-part series is really wrestling with the invisible effects of what money, and more importantly, what your money is actually doing to you. So I want to go back where we left off with this series because I believe this is so important. Because when you look at the theme on money, when you look at the theme on possessions in the Bible, when you look at money and possessions as we find it in Genesis all the way to Revelation, the one thing that you see is that scripture tells us that there is only one thing that can combat against the negative effects of wealth, and the one thing that combats the negative effect that wealth has on your life is simply generosity. So, this morning I want to go back and I want to look at what Paul left for us when he was writing in First Timothy. We're going to look at First Timothy 6. Beginning at verse 17, if you have your Bible and that's where you want to turn, I would strongly encourage you to do that. If not, that's okay. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Here's what Paul wrote in First Timothy. He said this. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Now look at that. Not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is what? So uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now look at what Paul says. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now here's the thing. In, in, in the first week of this, of this two-part series, which really I have to admit, I wish they had been you know right, right, right where they were supposed to be, but I think, again, God had a bigger purpose. But in the first week of this series, I told you that when I read what, the Paul, what Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote, I, I think we actually find in his writings four takeaways. And, and, and we went over those four takeaways on the 21st, and, and here's what I believe those four takeaways are. The very first thing that I, Paul, that I think Paul is telling us, about the wealth that we have, what God has given us, what God has blessed us with, regardless of what you have. Some people have one portion, some people have another, but it doesn't matter. We're all rich. And Paul says in writing this, he says, here's what I want you to understand. With whatever you've got, he says this, don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant about it. Don't be arrogant about the wealth, whether it's here or whether it's here or whether it's here. Don't be arrogant about God and his blessings and the way that he's blessed you. Here's the second thing I think we can take from Paul's writing. He says also, even though you've been blessed, even though you are wealthy, even though you're rich, he says this, don't trust it. Don't trust it. Don't put your trust in money. Don't put your trust in wealth. That's the second takeaway. The third takeaway is this. Don't forget that it's a gift. God has given it to you. You did nothing to deserve it. You think you did, but again, it's a gift. God has given it to you as a gift. The fourth thing is this. Don't think that it's for you. Don't think that it's just for you. Now, again, that, that's what Paul wrote to us in verses 17 and 18. And that's where we left off when we were here on the 21st in the first week of this series. I want us to do something different this morning. I want us to look at the next verse. Because Paul has one more thing that I believe and that Andy Stanley believes that he wants to share with us. As he's talking to all of us, because we are all the rich people. We're the rich people. You may not see yourself as rich, whether you're here or online, but we're the rich people. And the one thing that I think Paul wants to communicate to us is actually found in verse 19, where this is what he says He says, In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, a firm foundation. In this way, they will lay up, they will build a firm foundation for themselves in the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is, this is going to sound crazy to some of you. But but what Paul is saying is that there's a connection. In verse 19, we're going to leave that up there. There's a connection between your money and eternity. There's a connection between your extra and eternity. In other words, what Paul is saying is this. Now listen to me. How you spend your money impacts eternity. How you spend your money impacts eternity. Not where you're going, but what takes place in eternity. How you spend your extra, how you spend your money impacts what takes place in eternity. And some of you are like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, that can't be right. You have to be some kind of crazy loon. You're a heretic, or however you say that word. Some of you think I'm just a tick, and that's okay, too. Especially when you're talking about money. That's what some of you think. But he, again, the thing I want you to understand is this. Some of you question, like, okay, how can you actually say there's a connection between the way that I spend my money and eternity? How could you actually say that? Did, did, did Paul just come up with that in what you see in verse 19? And I'll tell you no. Look at verse 19 again. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. That's heaven. So they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul is the writer here. But the reason or the way that Paul can say what he's saying is because in verse 19... Paul is actually borrowing borrowing what he said from Jesus. Paul has actually taken that verse, and he's taken it from the actual teachings of Jesus. And, And let me just check out just a minute. This is so transformational. If you will just grasp onto this. It's transformational because it will change the way, listen to me, crossroads, it will change the way that you view your wealth. If you can understand, listen, this is not Randy Cook speaking. If you can understand the principle which Jesus taught the teaching that Paul is alluding to, then it will help you to release your grip on all the stuff in your life that has control of you. Now listen to me. We live in a culture, in a society, in a country where our stuff has its grip on all of us. So let's look at Luke chapter 12. Luke records it this way. Someone in the crowd said to him, "Teacher." Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but I'm almost positive that, that, that this person who says, uh, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I could almost guarantee you that that's a younger brother. I can almost guarantee you. Can I get an amen in the house? It sounds like a younger brother. Doesn't it? it actually sounds like a middle child. <laughs> I'm kidding if you're a middle child. It sounds like a younger brother now how, how do I know it sounds like a younger brother because it sounds like a brother who wants something that the older brother has. am I right am I right then that sounds like somebody who wants something that somebody else has now here's the thing I want you to understand I want you to picture that younger brother younger uh, older brother younger brother K- keep that in your mind and I want to share with you this morning some information that I received from a survey that was done by a scientist or a professor, an MIT professor, he did this really interesting, this fascinating study about Olympic medal winners. And he was actually looking at the medal winners in the Olympics, and he was studying which ones were the happiest. So in, in, in every uh, sport, you have a gold medal, a silver medal, and a bronze medal. Those people are awarded their medals on those very unique platforms where they play the 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 what's that the the, yeah the anthem of the of the countries. Be like Joe Biden up here, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Can't remember, remember, you know that thing, you know that thing. (laughs) And that's not political. That's just to be funny, okay? But anyway, after an event. I better better lose you right now and catch you back up, okay? So after an event is run, the medals are awarded. And obviously the happiest guy is the gold medal winner. You have the gold medal winner, you have the silver medal winner, and you have the bronze medal winner. Obviously the gold medal winner is the happiest. Do you know who was the second happiest? It was the bronze medal winner. And you would say, why? Because the bronze medal winner compared himself downward to the person who came in fourth place. And as he compared himself to the fourth place participant, he was happy because he said to himself, wow, look what I could have missed out on. I'm so thankful to have what I have because I could have came in fourth place. Man, I almost didn't get a medal at all because in reality, I could have had nothing. So look at the silver medalist. Guess who the silver medalist compared himself to? He compared himself up to the gold medal winner. And he was obsessed with the fact of thinking, oh my gosh, look what I could have had. Oh, what I could have had. I could have had the gold medal, and if I had the gold medal, then I would be happy. And the silver medal winners, now listen, are actually less happy than the bronze medal winners. And here's the thing. This shows us something that I think we have to realize. It shows us something that I think is deep within the human heart. Because here's the thing. Money will keep saying to you. Money will tell you. Keep looking at the people who have more than you do. Look at the people who have a better house, a better car, a better job, a better 401k. Look at the people who have things that are better than you and just think how much happier you'd be if you had what they had. That's what money will say to you. This is what we need to realize. This is what money does. Money does crazy things like that. Money will also say to you, you know what, Randy, you you don't have a greed problem. Money will tell you you don't have a greed problem when you do have a greed problem. Look at Luke 12. The younger brother, who I think that's who it was, has addressed Jesus. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to him, "Now look at what he, look at what Jesus says. Watch out! Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. See, m- m- money will say to you, you, 'You you don't have to worry about being greedy.' Randy, you you don't have to worry about gr- being greedy because." Greedy people are way richer than you are. You don't have to worry about being greedy because those greedy people are the rich people. The people who are way richer than you are. And Randy, you don't have enough money to be classified as greedy. But look at what Jesus said behind me. Put that back up there, Tim. He said, watch out. Now, that's interesting that Jesus would say, watch out. Because watch out is not something that Jesus doesn't usually say, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of murder. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of adultery. Why would Jesus not say, watch out as it relates to murder, or watch out as it relates to adultery, or watch out as it relates to stealing? He doesn't say, watch out, because those things are clear-cut. I mean, you don't have to decide. I mean, you don't commit a murder and start or start committing a murder and get about halfway through committing the murder and say, oh, I better not do this. I mean, you, you don't do that. Hey, this might count as a homicide. Maybe I shouldn't do it. Here's the thing I want you to understand murder and stealing and adultery are clear cut. So, how do you know when you're being greedy? And see, here's one of the things that money will do. Money will try to lure you into thinking that as long as you're not like Bernie Madoff, remember him who did that pyramid scheme and got billions of dollars from people? Money will lure you into thinking as long as you're not like him, you don't have a greed problem. You look at Bernie Madoff and you say, you know what? He's the one with the greed problem. And you compare him to you and you say, you know what? I'm okay. But look at verse 16. Jesus speaking. And he told them this parable, a story. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? Because I have no place to store my crops. Now, I want you to hear me. This is Jesus talking about a typical middle-class American. This is what Jesus is doing. He's talking about or to a middle-class American right here because this is somebody who had a good year. This is somebody who, who, who achieved their bonus, who, who got a raise, This is a real estate agent who closed the biggest deal. And what Jesus is trying to do, Jesus is trying to get us thinking about the different things we could do when we find ourselves in the situation that this man finds himself in. He wanted to teach us the right way to respond. That's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to teach us the the right way to respond when we have extra. He's teaching us the right way to, to respond when we're rich. So you have this certain rich man who has produced a good crop, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, let me just ask you, at first glance, that just seems normal, doesn't it? At first glance, what you see this this, this certain rich man doing, it just seems reasonable, doesn't it? It just seems reasonable that that's what he'd do. He had a good year, and again, he just does what good people would do who have had a good year. I mean, think about it, like, like, like right now in, in our culture, you would say, I, I closed a big real estate deal, I got my bonus, I got a raise, I've got a great new job, I'm making more money than I've ever made, so what are you going to do? You're going to do exactly what this man did, you're going to pay off your mortgages, you're going to uh, fill up your IRA, pay off your debts, trade in your old car, you're going to buy a new car, you're going to build a new house. So, so far, this story is a good story. But let me tell you, this story is about to take a tragic turn. Look at verse 20. After this man said, I'm going to build more barns. I'm going to store my stuff. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, you fool. You fool. And again, the thing we have to understand is like most things that Jesus taught, like most of the things that Jesus had to say, This story, this parable, represented a monumental shift in the way that people thought on a day-to-day basis. He's announcing in this story that there is a paradigm shift. There is a new paradigm for those who are rich. There is a new paradigm for those who have extra. He's talking to people like us. Because whenever we have what we need, and then more than we need, we naturally think that the extra is for us. We naturally think that the extra is for our consumption. And knowing that you and I think when you have extra, and we naturally think the extra is for our consumption, that thought actually leads me to an important point that I want to make, and I think I see it in this story. The point is this. You fail at being rich when you think it's all about you. Isn't that what Paul warned us about? You fail at being rich when you think what God has given you is all about you. God didn't call this man a fool because he got richer. Why did God call this man a fool? He called him a fool because this man, this certain rich man, didn't know how to be rich. And that's what we're talking about. He called him a fool because he didn't know how to be rich. Now think about it. This certain rich man was a farmer. He's putting away his crops. He's putting away his grain. We know he's a farmer. If he's a farmer, who made him rich? God made him rich. Who made the sunshine? God made the sunshine. Who made it rain? God made it rain. So God made him rich. God has made this dude richer. And God is not angry at this man because he's rich. He called him a fool because he didn't know how to handle it. He called him a fool because he didn't know how to be rich. And listen to, listen to what I'm about to say. God has made you rich. And those watching online and those listening online, God's made you rich. And let me tell you this morning, I want you to hear me from my lips to your ears God's not mad at you for being rich, He's not. I do think there are times that God looks down at me and says, Oh, Randy, I just wish you would act rich. Randy, you're failing the test with your extra and what I've given you. Because this is not about you. But God is not mad at any of us in this room or watching online about us being rich. Look at how the story continues. God says, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? He started up in barns, going to eat, drink, and be married. Now who's going to get it? Because his life is going to be demanded from him. Who's going to get it? Somebody else. Not because he's generous, but because he's dead. But look at the next verse. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself self but is not rich toward God. This is how it will be for any of you who stores up things for himself but is not paying it forward, not rich towards God. And then we come to the verse that we're all familiar with. Verse 34 for where your treasure is there your heart will be also God says you know what I don't need your stuff I gave it to you I don't need your stuff I don't I don't I don't need your house I don't need your car I don't need your you know your Range Rover your Suburban your Dodge Neon I don't need any of that I want your heart. And what God is saying to us is that for you rich people, that's hard for you. So the best way for me to get your heart is to get your stuff. And so here I want you to hear me. Paul is writing to the rich people. He's writing to us. He's borrowing from a teaching of Jesus. And he's saying to us this morning, Crossroads and those watching online, He's saying you've got to think about eternity when you think about your resources. You've got to think about eternity because there's a connection between your extra and your time and your money and eternity. Now let's look at verse 19 again. In this way they will lay up for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life That is truly life. Why would he say that? That last part. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know why he says that? Because you, like me, are tempted to take hold of a life in this society, in this culture. You're tempted to take hold of a life that is not truly life. See, the problem with generosity is that it's hard to define. Just like the word rich, it's hard to define. Nobody in this room, nobody watching online, none of you right now think that you're rich. Now, listen to what I'm about to say. None of you think that you're rich, but every one of you think that you're generous. None of you think you're rich, but every one of you, just like me, we think we're generous. So if we take everything that Jesus said about money and possessions and you just kind of boil it down, distill it down, I think there are what I would say three major themes that emerge from the teachings and the talks of Jesus on the subject of money. Here's the first thing that I think emerges from anything that Jesus says about money. Again, you put it all together, you boil it down, these three things just kind of pop up to the surface. The first thing that I think Jesus gives a lot of emphasis on is this. It's priority giving. Right now is the time for you and for me to start to be generous. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your money. Because here's the thing I want you to understand. When you make giving a priority, something inside of you that I can't explain happens to you. I can't explain it. But I can tell you it happens, especially when giving is financially challenging to do. Because it's like you loosen your grip on this whole value system that says money is the key to life. Money is the key to happiness. Money is the key to to safety. It's, It's when you give of your time and your talent and your treasure, when you make giving a priority, something changes inside of you. And I will tell you this morning, in that split second that you decide to be generous, you know what you're saying? I'm not trusting in the gift, but I'm trusting in the giver. I'm not trusting in the gift, but I'm trusting in the one who gave me the gift. And and I know that many of us are guilty of saying, you know what, when I start making more money, that's when I'll start being more generous. I hear that all the time. You know, when I get the next job, I'll give more. When I make more money, I'll give more. But I I, I just want to address something. I want you to hear me. One of the single most reliable financial statistics that exists is this. Lower level income individuals are the people who give a higher percentage of their wealth away. Now let me just say this. From 2000 and you know 16 to even to right now the economy of this great country has expanded and grown exponentially. And many of us in this room, many of you listening online, many of you watching online, you have been the benefit of that. You can't buy a house right now. There was a house that went on the market the other day. In one day, the agent told me, 26 contracts on one house. I know personally of at least a couple of houses who the houses have sold from a hundred thousand to four hundred thousand more than they were asking. How do you do that? That's what's happening in our society. That's what's happening in our economy. At the same time that many of our incomes have grown exponentially. Giving at crossroads over the last four years has gone down. Why? Well, we know part of that was because a lot of people weren't here last year and they didn't give, or they quit giving. The focus is this, or the truth is this. You're not going to give more money the more you make. You're actually going to give less money the more you make. The more we make, the less we give. Because here's the bottom line if you're not generous with $30,000 a year, you're not going to be more generous with $130,000. You have to make giving a priority. That's what Jesus would say. It's in his teachings. It's in the things that he said. Here's the second theme that I think emerges from Jesus' teachings on giving or on money and generosity. The second theme that emerges is percentage giving. Now, here's the thing. Some of you say, well, what, what do you mean by percentage? Let me say this. Percentage giving gives you a better idea of whether you have control of your money or your money has control of you. Percentage giving allows you to see that you have control of where your money goes or that your money has control of you. Now, again, I want some of you to understand because some of you are really ticked because you're looking at some other people in here that you know have a lot and you don't have as much. And here's what I want to tell you. Everybody's entrusted with a portion. That's what you're given. Everybody's entrusted with a portion in this life. And we don't all get the same amount. So here's the thing I would challenge you with this morning. It doesn't make sense to measure generosity based on the ability to give a certain dollar figure. See, Jesus taught us about percentage giving. Because back in the day of Jesus, they didn't pass the plate. They didn't stand outside the door with the bucket in in their hand, letting you put in if you wanted to. They didn't do it that way. In the time of Jesus, the offering bucket sat at the front in the same place at the same time, and people walked up, and they dropped in their offering and their tithe where everyone who was in the room could see them. And Jesus is watching this one day. He's watching people come to the offering bucket, which was sitting probably at the front of the room. And, and he's watching this group of people. And again, I want you to understand, it's just like this audience right now. It was a wide cross-section of people. There were rich people, single people, married people. There were poor people. There were people of all different kinds of ethnicities. But Jesus is watching every person get up, or probably not every person, but most people bring their offering and put it in the offering bucket. And as Jesus was watching this, he noticed something that really caught his attention, and it's recorded in Mark chapter 12. Mark says, but a widow, a poor widow, came and put in two very small copper coins, two coins that were worth only a few cents. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of what? Their wealth. But she gave out of her poverty. Now don't miss this. Because the takeaway here is not that Jesus is always going to be kind to little old women. That's not the takeaway. The takeaway is this. The takeaway is that percentage matters more than the sum. That's the takeaway from this story in Mark chapter 12. Percentage actually matters more than the sum that you're giving. And some of you will say, well, what what is the percentage that I should give, Randy? And I'll tell you. I think it's 10%. of the gross for those that want to box with me 10% of the gross and why would I say 10% because the bible writers consistently talk about the tithe and the tithe means 10% and some of you that just that just grates on you Well, I make $500 a week. That means I got to give $50 off the top. That's if you're giving 10%, that would be correct. I mean, of course, the more you make, the more you give. That's why percentage giving is important. But here's my encouragement, and I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. My encouragement is that if more this morning, if you can't, if that's just something that you can't stomach, that you just pick a percentage and you start there. Notice I said start there. You pick a percentage and you start there. Start giving it away. And can I just address something here really quick? I totally believe in the integrity of what we do as a church. Now, I'm going to tell you this. And if this is a big thing for you, then you probably just need to go somewhere else. We don't have these ugly business meetings where people fight each other over, you know, whether it's going to the Lottie Moon or the blah, blah, blah. We don't do that. We have a budget and we don't publish that out. Anytime you want to see that, ask me. I'll show it to you. We don't put it in the offering. We don't put it in the bulletin for you to see it because, again, we want the focus Day in and day out day in and day out to be on Jesus. That's what we want them you know, when I go in and I open a church bulletin and the first thing I see is about the offering from last week, and they came up this much short or they're, they're, they're this much over, to me, it just it draws my focus to they're all about money. So we don't put that out there much. We talk about it, some. We're not going to avoid talking about it. But if you don't believe in the integrity of what we do and what we have done at Crossroads Church, I'm going to tell you, then take your money and still be generous and give it to somebody else. Give it to somebody else. But here's the thing I would address this morning. If you have trouble with a church, if you have a history with the church, and that's caused you not to be generous, move on. Get over that. Don't use your history with the church as an excuse for your lack of generosity. Whether it's this church or any other church. Now, some people would argue that since tithing is found in the Old Testament, then they think, you know what, we just need to do away with the whole concept. But let me address that. Jesus was quite clear. Here you go, Lori. Jesus was quite clear that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. In the early church, no one's attitude was, thank God, thank goodness, grace takes us out from under the law. Now we don't have to give anymore. That's what a lot of people think. A lot of people think you don't have to tithe anymore. Now, because of grace, we can give less than 10%. But can I just tell you something? Can I challenge you with this? The early church was so overwhelmed by God's grace and generosity that the New Testament church went far beyond the tithes. They went far beyond the 10%. So I've started thinking about this whole idea of tithing in a new way. I started thinking about tithing and I started thinking about grace. And and it really caused me to ask the question, and the question is this. What if tithing is actually one of God's gifts to us? What if tithing is actually a gift that God has given us? What if tithing isn't opposed to grace? But instead, tithing is actually a vehicle of grace. Isn't that good? I mean, that's just good. Because tithing, listen to me this morning, tithing was never meant to be, I'm going to go in, I'm going to cross roads, I'm going to go to Emmanuel, I'm going to go to the journey, I'm going to go to the bridge, I'm going to go to College Hills, and I'm just going to pay my debt to God. That's not what tithing is. Instead, tithing is an exercise. Am I right? It's an exercise that cultivates a generous and God-centered heart. Tithing is an exercise. It's training to cultivate a generous and more importantly, a God-centered heart. So take time to think about it like this. Attitude matters more than percentage. If you're giving a percentage with a bad attitude, then that's all for nothing. Attitude matters more than percentage. Let me give you an example. I I remember one of these days I was standing out uh, at the 8 o'clock service, and when I was standing out there, one of my grandchildren came in. They attend the 8 o'clock service. Where's Vestal when I need her? And they went right by me, didn't even look at me. (laughs) One of my kids said to their kid, which was my grandkid, go over and give Grandy a hug. Now, my name is Randy, but since I'm a grandparent, I know I don't look like one, but since I'm a grandparent, they call me Grandy, which I think was a pretty cool name. Just Randy with a G. So, So they come in, and they just fly right by me and just ignore me. And and one of my children said, go give Grandy a hug. They just kept right on going. They said, go give Grandy a hug. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think that hug meant to me? Did that hug mean as much to me as if it would if they came right in and just bear hugged me? No. Not at all. So here's why this is important. Make sure that when you give, that you connect your giving to your heart. I mean, let me give you an instance. This is something I do on Sundays. I just walk around. I just walk around here. And on Saturday, too. But on Sunday, I had the opportunity to watch kids being taught about the love of Jesus. I get to watch people pour out their heart in worship on this stage and in the audience. I stand in the lobby and I watch friends connect with one another. I've even been known, Carol, to sneak into a community group and hear what God is doing in the lives of other people. Lori Dove, Lori Flowers. I've also taken the time to have conversations with people that have gone on our mission trips. And they've experienced what God has done in their lives because of your generosity and the generosity of other people. And see, here's the thing. In all of that, I get to see something. And in what I get to see, I get to see that my giving here at Crossroads, my giving to God makes all these things happen. And it really fills me up. And when I give, it allows me to give with joy. But I want to take a a moment and give you another type of giving. And I think this is really, really important. And it might be something that very few of you have thought of. Very few of you have thought of. Or it might be something that's completely new to you. But again, I think I find this in the teachings of Jesus. It's something called progressive giving. Because when it comes to giving, just track with me on this. I think tithing, giving 10% is like the training wheels of giving. You follow me? Remember when you learned how to ride a bike and you, you couldn't steady yourself and they put the training wheels on the back so that you could learn how to ride the bike and then one day you took the training wheels off? I think tithing is like the training wheels of giving. It's like training wheels of the whole giving concept. See, here's what I believe. The 10% is intended to get you started. But I don't think the 10% is recommended forever. So let me ask you a question. If tithing is like the training wheels of giving, how do you know when you're supposed to take the training wheels off? I'll tell you. The quick answer is when the training wheels start to slow you down. You take the training wheels off when the very thing that helped you in the beginning starts to slow you down. So how do you know when it's time to stop giving just 10%? How do you know when it's time to stop tithing and move on and move up? It's time to stop tithing when it's slowing down your spiritual growth. When it's slowing you down. It's time to move beyond the 10%. It's time to take the training wheels off. So how do you do that? Well, I'll tell you. One of the ways that you can take the training wheels off as it relates to tithing is to up your percentage. Next year, I'm going to give 11%, or next year, I'm going to give 12%, and go up a percentage point every year, or 2%, or 5%, whatever whatever it is. You know know, know something? I can honestly say this. God, strike me dead if I'm not telling you the truth. I want you to understand, because some of you are going to think I'm trying to manipulate you. That's not the way it is at all. I know somebody right now who gives 90% and lives on 10%. You say that's not possible. I'm going to tell you it's absolutely possible. Because, my friends, listen to me you can't outgive God in any aspect of your life. Listen to me, those of you watching us online. You can't outgive God. If you don't want to give it here, that's fine. Give it somewhere. But don't miss out on generosity. You take the training wheels off when they start slowing you down. And again, give a percentage more every year or 2% more every year. And the reason why we do that is so important because here's the thing we know that the more money I make, the more I think it's all for me. The extra is for me. And the same whole truth for you. You're going to react the same way that I do. So here's the way I want to close this morning. Maybe you take the time to write this down. As it relates to what God has given you, your wealth, your money, here's what I would advise you to do. Make your money a tool. A tool for God, for God to use. Make your money a tool for God and not a drug for yourself. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? God, it's always difficult. It's a difficult topic. It's the least wanted topic in the church. Nobody wants to hear about it. And God, it's not that we're really talking about money. We're talking about being generous. We're talking about generosity. We're talking about not how to get rich, but how to be rich doing the things that Paul advised us because Paul had this ability to see and to know in the future that we were going to be a blessed people and that we could do so much if we would take what God has given us. So God, my hope, my prayer this morning is that we, your people, would listen to what you have to say through your servant Paul and through the words and the teachings of Jesus. And God, that we would apply those things to our lives and that we would be the people who actually do that. We want you to move in our life in a way that only you can to bring us to a place where we can be and do the things that you've called us to do. It's been a tough tough year for us as a church. But we didn't sign up for the PPP money. We weren't going to do that. We don't want to be in bed with the government. We want to be able to do what you've called us to do, God. So we, your people, need to be a part of what you're doing in this church and in this community. We need to rise back to the place that we were. We need to be difference makers. Knowing that you can do abundantly more than we could ever ask or think in Christ Jesus. So God, bless these people. Bless their health, bless their finances, bless their relationships. Let your hand rest on them as they seek to live out the truths that we found this morning. To be a generous people. A loving people. Loving others and loving God. As we ask this prayer this morning. Thank you.
1: I just want to move your heart, it's all I want to do, I just want to stay.
0: worship leader here. Brian has uh, very faithfully uh, taken over a satellite campus of the church that he was working at as the campus pastor. And you know, I was just standing there and I felt like God said, we need to pray for him and his family because this is new to him. He was a worship leader and now he's leading a church church. It's part of South Hills. It's the church I think he works with, and it's a satellite campus. And I could give you a whole long story about how they ended up with this church. But churches in California are closing right and left. And I think we understand why, because they've been shut down. But let's take just a minute, and let's pray for Brian. God, we just take this time to just pray a, a, a hedge of protection around Brian and Darcy and their family as they've stepped out into uncharted waters. He's familiar. His dad was a pastor. He knows all about it. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. But it's difficult some days, especially when you're taking over a church that had dwindled down to nothing and trying to build it up. So, God, I just pray that your hand rests on him, that you inspire him, that you give him the creativity he needs the the strength that he needs to lead that small staff and God grow their finances so that they can keep that church in Manhattan Beach open, that it can be a light in the darkness, that he can be a light in the darkness. And above all else, God, I just pray this morning that you change him into the man that you need him to be for that position. He has the giftings, he has the talents, But allow him to focus those now on this position as campus pastor. Comfort his wife, Darcy, who has a new baby and their children. Give her the strength that she needs to be the supporter that she needs, even when sometimes he's not going to be around because he's going to be devoting himself to the sheep that you've placed under him. Do what only you can do, God, in his life. Multiply the things that happen in that church exponentially again, let it be lightness in the dark as we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name.